The Free for All Roundtable. Round two. On round two this morning, Richard Krause is here, host of the podcast Last Call with Richard Krause. Robert Benzie is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Sunira Chaudhry is an employment lawyer at Workley Law. Good morning to y'all. And actually, let's start with the beautiful game. Uh, and I'll start with Robert Benzie because I know you're a fan. There is a tax group calling on Olivia Chow to cancel the World Cup in Toronto. Um, I would say very simply, not going to happen. Yeah, I agree, John. It's it's not going to happen. I don't blame the Canadian Taxpayers uh, Federation for making this uh, plea. But I think the, my bigger concern with the World Cup is why is the city of Toronto on the hook for it when I think the province and the federal government, ha- ha- they have more resources and could help. This is something that will 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 do uh, good things for the city, I believe. I mean, we all we love to talk about how we don't want to host these big events in, in Toronto. But remember, the Pan Am Games of uh, 2015, I guess it was, Th- those were good for the city. We got things built in Canary Common. We got new f- sporting facilities. We got new housing. So these things can be a catalyst for good uh, for good projects as well. It's not just a, a circus for the, the wealthy who will be able to afford tickets. So Richard Krause, I am not a fan of the Olympics coming to our town and certainly not the Expo because it's like, welcome to the world of modern plastics. <laughs> but I think the soccer thing is kind of a good investment. What do you say? Yeah, I do too. I mean, I think that it's very easy to look at the the eye-watering dollar value and say, oh, we're we're spending $100 million to have maybe five, maybe eight games uh, played here in Toronto. But I think that we need to somehow uh, kickstart people coming to the city. We need tourism. We need action in the city. We need to show that we are still robust, that we are still open for business. Uh, Because frankly, I've been on the road a little bit in every city that I've been in, in the last couple of months, uh, I go to restaurants and they're full. I walk down the street, they're bustling. People uh, in those cities have gone back out and they're using the city. And I'm not feeling that vibe in Toronto right now in the same way. And anything that we can do to kickstart that will ultimately trickle down, I think, and help the city's health as a whole. Sanira, your thoughts? Well, John, I'm actually uh, a board member on the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, so this oh. is a close one for me because this is this is um, our petition. We are moving forward with this petition in large part because of just this just the staggering dollar amount that this is going to cost the city. And I think people need to be aware that Toronto's going to get a f- five or six games. We're not getting the full 39-day um, World Cup. It's going to be a number of games here. So I agree with Richard and and Benzi to the extent that it's going to add some electricity to the city, but for a very short period of time. And we do know also that Olivia Chow just this week said, well, you know, the bid has been signed, but she doesn't. And she said, I don't know what one can do about it now. So she's looking to the federal government. She's looking to the provincial government for help. No, neither have come in to actually sign this bid or commit any dollars. We're currently sitting in a, in a position where no dollars from the provincial government or the federal government have been uh, committed. So this is all on the city of Toronto's shoulders right now. We know that uh, Mayor Chow has made huge election promises that's going to require a lot of spending. The CTF wants to know, where is that you know, additional spending going to come from? It's going to be coming from the taxpayers. Okay, but wouldn't it be globally humiliating for us to be pulling the pin at this point? Well, you know, John, 
Montreal did it as well, pulling out from a FIFA bid. Vancouver, I think, you know, Vancouver has part of this bid um, as well. If you look at the numbers where Vancouver hosted the Olympics back in 2010, and they believe it brought in about, um, you know, over a billion dollars, Vancouver's also looking at the numbers saying, well, if you only get five or six games and we're going to be pumping in hundreds of millions of dollars here, I mean, in large part, John, these are these are money-making, you know, losses. It's not a money-maker. Bringing these sorts of events to cities are not money-makers. And I think what we need to look at here is whether or not Toronto needs to be in a further deficit as compared to where we where we are currently sitting, which is on a, a very, you know, it, we're at a bit, a bit of a tipping point like other cities in North America. L- look at San Francisco, for example. So I think this is a huge commitment that the city of Toronto is sort of wa- walking into blindly. And we really, as taxpayers, need to look at the dollars and cents. We don't have either of the uh, the provincial or federal government on board. That is a dangerous position for Toronto taxpayers to be in. Almost half of Canadians, according to a survey, are losing sleep over their finances. Richard Krause, are you tossing and turning at night? I'm not, but I have certainly talked to uh, a number of people who are, and I'm talking more and more uh, to people who tell me things like, well, I skip lunch on Tuesdays and Thursdays to save money, or I uh, don't have dinner every night. And uh, the thing that is alarming to me about this is that in April, uh, they did a study saying, you know, asking people what their situation with their finances was. And I think it was 36% of people said, well, we don't, you know, have maybe quite enough money to get through to the end of the month, or we only have a couple hundred bucks left in the bank by the time the end of the month rolls around and we paid all our bills. Uh, But now we're sitting here in July and it's 6% more people that are saying that. So the the numbers are trending upwards. High interest rates are killing us. Uh, the cost of going to the grocery store, it's a, it's a study and sticker shock every time you walk into a grocery store these days. And I think that it is causing people anxiety. And I think that ultimately, unless we find a way to wrangle inflation and wrangle these interest rates and get them back down to a manageable amount, that we're going to start to see real serious mental health issues that come out of this because finances are one of those things that make or break people and can break your spirit very easily. So this is an extraordinarily serious thing, not simply because of the uh, uh, effects of not having enough money, but but it, the, the, again, the trickle down, it's all the, the mental issues that come up surrounding that that could be very, very devastating for a lot of people. Okay, so Robert Benzi, I'll let you take this in any direction. But my own reflection here is this must be more about inequity because the economy is humming along. Unemployment is at record lows in Canada and the U.S. Yes, there are all kinds of pressures, but at the same time, there's also been wage inflation. So maybe it's that there are pockets of the population that are humming along fine and other people are saying i don't even know how to pay for daycare yeah i mean this is the 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 interesting conundrum john we are a situation here in ontario for example uh, premier ford likes to talk about uh how many unfilled jobs there are Three hundred eighty thousand jobs out there this is something new for us and you and i are old enough to remember uh you know the early 90s when 
there were thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of of people looking for work. We just don't have that right now. We have a situation where there are too many, too few people for the jobs uh, that need to be done. But wages are not rising as fast as inflation. And w- one of the strange things is whether I talk to fr- friends who have money or friends who have less money, everyone is talking about the price of things right now. To Richard's mm-hmm. point, like everyone doesn't matter if you're if you shop at Pusateri's or or uh, Summerhill Market or at Sobeys mm-hmm. or a Freshco or whatever, you're you're saying, wow, I can't believe X cost Y. And I think that's something that um, that w- we all have to get our heads around. And I don't know if it's just a post-pandemic hangover kind of thing where, you know, we're suddenly, you know, things are moving along so quickly and we're saying, wow, this is, this didn't expect this because we've all been sitting at home for three years, not spending any money. I, I just, but it is something that everyone is talking about for sure. Uh, yeah, Sunira, it's disturbing to think. I mean, it's not just that people have some concerns. They're, they can't sleep. Yeah. And, you know, a, a personal story, John, back in 2022, I was applying for a mortgage. I bought a pre-construction condo in the city. I thought I had saved correctly. I thought that it was going to be smooth sailing. But of course, with the more, with the interest rates being what they were, I also um, had become self-employed. I started my uh, own firm just in 2020. Too. And I also was on maternity leave in 2021. So my income was really low in 2021. And I was shocked just a week or so before my mortgage closing that I had to find a whole lot more money to close my uh, this pre-construction condo that I had bought and thought it would be a great investment. And the, the amount of stress I felt, I can absolutely vouch for. It's 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 absolutely crippling what people are likely going through. And I think when it comes to the banks, when it comes to the interest rates, we, we know that a lot of workers are now moving to the gig, gig economy. They're looking for other ways to work and the banks are not catching up with the way people are now working. And so that's going to be putting more and more people into a crunch when, it, when they're looking for home ownership as an example. And I think that actually absolutely speaks to the inequity that you were referring to earlier. Um, what do you folks make of planes that will be unmanned? They're cargo planes. They're mostly going to be in the north. And uh, Robert Benzie, I'll start with you on this one. I don't want to be panicky because, you know, trains drive themselves in airports these days. So maybe planes can fly themselves as well. It's funny, you know, John, a friend of mine is a British Airways pilot. He flies long haul 777s from like Shanghai to, to Heathrow. And I, I, I remember to asking him one day, I said, could these things fly themselves? He said, they can take off by themselves, they can land themselves. But he said, our passengers would never go for that um, because uh, it's it's just too off-putting. And I think we are all comforted when we hear the voice of the captain, uh, whether it's a, a woman or a man in the, in the front of the plane, that there's something about hearing that competent, <laughs> dulcet tone over the loudspeaker in the plane. You think, I'm glad there's someone flying this damn thing. Okay, Richard Krause, that makes pilots glorified flight attendants, I think. Well, no, I mean, listen, until the day that my autocorrect on my computer stops changing (laughs) the words that I type, uh, I I will not trust an unmanned computer uh, with my life or with the lives of other people. Even if it's just a cargo plane, there's still a human cost attached to this. So, nope. Nope. Not for me. Not for you. Okay, we're going to have to call it there, but my thanks to Richard Krauss, Sunira Chaudhry, Robert Benzi. And speaking of transportation and tech, there was an article I just didn't get to on the show this morning. 
Uh, but it was fascinating that people are starting to interfere with self-driving vehicles by placing pylons in front of them. And the, the wisdom is that in the future, if cars are going to drive themselves, then pedestrians and cyclists are actually going to regain control of all of the roads. Because if a car is not allowed to run you over, then it can't run you over. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.